Welcome. Welcome to 2023 and season three of the Medal of Honor podcast. Veteran stories of strength, courage, and perseverance. We're starting off this year with some amazing guests. The first episode of season three, which is episode 104, I believe, is with General David Petraeus. I remember appearing before NCO of the month or NCO of the quarter boards or even a board getting promoted from E5 to E6. One of the topics that you're always questioned on is leadership. And I believe the more seasoned you become, the more the questions go from a defining leadership versus the applicability of it. Well, and and again, there's subtasks here and there are tactics, techniques, and procedures about how to get the big ideas right, how to communicate them, how to, again, oversee the implementation, which is best done relentlessly, even if you don't make perhaps want to show that it is relentless. Uh, You know, the best way is, oh, I have a light hand on the reins. We've got this phenomenal team. They know where they're going. I just sort of check on them every now and then. And the truth is you are pushing this. You drive a campaign. Uh, That's what a leader does. This is, for what it's worth, for anybody who wants to dig into this deeper, uh, this is all captured uh, at the Belfer Center at Harvard. I was a fellow there for six years, non-resident fellow. after leaving government as well at KKR, uh, and a team of graduate students there, many of whom had worked for me during the surge in Iraq or in Afghanistan, uh, helped again to distill all of this, to capture it, to describe it. And there's a series of interviews with me as we walk through each of these tasks, and then also describe a number of general tactics, techniques, and procedures for the exercise of leadership. Yet another resource to take advantage of. And you can do it virtually. Belfercenter.org, just Google Petraeus on strategic leadership and it'll pop right up. This podcast is brought to you by Acuity Benefit Consulting. Retaining military veteran talent is critical to your bottom line. So give them a specialized resource for the benefit that they value most, VA Disability Compensation. Acuity provides them with an in-depth, one-on-one educational session on VA disability benefits, curated to your veterans' needs. For more information, contact Navy veteran Ray Hun at acuitybenefitconsulting.com. Again, that is www.acuitybenefitconsulting.com. How do you define success? And with success, how do you know that you're moving in the right direction? Well, there are, if you will, measures of success, I think. Um, you can, in, in, in every activity, again, there's typically a standard 
some are very clear, very ironclad, you know, the number of push-ups required to max the PT test or the run time or pull-up stiffs, you know, whatever it is, uh, there are very clear measures for some aspects of uh, particularly military performance. And then there are others that are obviously a bit more subjective, um, how folks think that you are doing in the exercise of leadership. Um, certainly how your unit does. Again, there's a lot that, that is uh, quite straightforward. Uh, there are performance metrics, if you will, again, for a variety of different tasks. Uh, and quite a few of these can be quantified. Uh, something like the number of uh, Ranger qualified non-commissioned officers in an infantry company, which is something I track very, very carefully as a battalion and, and brigade commander. Our, our, our view was that if you had 20 Ranger qualified non-commissioned officers in a company, that it transformed. Uh, it just ran itself because of the, the quality of these great non-commissioned officers. Uh, we assumed that the commission officers would be Ranger qualified. Uh, it was almost it was a given, essentially. Um, so the focus was on providing the opportunity and the preparation and the motivation and support uh, for enlisted and enlisted men at, at that time and non-commissioned officers uh, to go to an incomplete ranger school. Um, so again, but I can sketch this out in all kinds of different ways. Some other ways, it's frequency of certain activities, uh, you know, for example, brigade uh, combat team jumps or exercises or, you know, so it's just actually conducting the activity. Um, and then again, as I said, various subjective matter assessments of you and of the unit that you are privileged to lead. Um, and then, you know, ultimately that manifests itself in whether someone gets promoted, selected for a particular professional development course, uh, selected for a great command, um, you know, or they turn to you in their hour of need and say, uh, I'm asking you as your president and commander in chief to take command of our forces in Afghanistan, as President Obama did in the Oval Office uh, before I went over and, and, and performed that task. Of course, it's no matter who serves in the office of president, but in nostalgic may not be the right word, but what was it like for you the first time that you entered the Oval Office knowing that it was part of your job to sit there and do business with the president? I don't know about nostalgic. I think it's a tiny bit um, daunting, perhaps, or intimidating or what have you. But the truth is, I mean, at a certain point in time, you get past that after about 30 seconds uh, and they start talking about serious stuff and you get, you know, you, your game face is on um, and it's time to provide forthright uh, truth to power, as they say. So, yeah, I mean, again, the first few times, the first time in the National Security Council staff area, uh, the first time through the gate in a vehicle. I mean, there's all of these that are, again, somewhat intimidating, but at the end of the day, they're all human beings. Mm -hmm. um, they have enormous strengths uh, or they wouldn't be there. There's some shortcomings as well. We're all human. Um, and, and again, once you're in there and once you, and, and you know, once you do it fairly regularly, uh, obviously it's a little less, uh, you're a little less impressed with yourself than you were mm -hmm. the yeah. first time you went in or, or the first time you came out. 
But well, there's a tiny bit of that. Sure. I mean, there are, look, there are occasions where you feel as if you're almost transported out of body and you're looking down at yourself in this tumultuous hearing at the six month mark of the surge in Iraq, the entire floor is full of camera operators trying to snap your photo. Um, you, the emotions are running high. The pink ladies are demonstrating behind you until they're escorted out of the chamber. Uh, it, you know, and you look and you sort of look down at yourself, metaphorically speaking, and say, Can, are you kidding me? Seriously? Um, so yeah, there are those moments. But, but the moment you hit the, the button uh, to make your speaker live or your microphone live and you start offering your assessment, um, that stuff goes away and you start to do what you're supposed to do, which is to, again, perform, to exercise those tasks associated with that particular moment as a leader and recognizing how privileged you are to be doing that. Because again, I, there really is no greater privilege, I don't think, than leading America's sons and daughters and, and those of other countries, uh, especially in combat, um, and to represent them, uh, to explain what they have achieved, uh, what they're trying to achieve, the obstacles, the challenges, the uh, context in which they're trying to do that, uh, again, there really is nothing comparable and nothing that is truly a greater privilege. Good morning. Before we jump into recording the bulk of this podcast, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join me, as I know it is quite packed. Happy to do it. You have a resume that is just packed with accomplishments as it relates to the intelligence community, the military community, so much so that you didn't even have a person did not even have to serve in the military or within the mili- the intelligence community to know that name David Petraeus. So my question for you to to kick this thing off is: once you graduated West Point and was chosen to be an infantry officer as your branch within the army. Did you as a young lieutenant ever think that you were going to see any stars on your shoulder? I mean, whether it be one star or all four stars that you ended up accomplishing. Or maybe not accomplishing four stars, but achieving the rank of a four-star general. Well, I mean, that would be really presumptuous. Uh, um, But look, I think that that young... Commission, non-commissioned warrant officers all think that they can, they have a shot at least at, at rising to a reasonable level. Uh, and certainly, you know, I tried very hard to do what might prove um, to allow me to rise to a certain level. Uh, but there's luck involved. Um, there's timing involved. Um 
there are circumstances, there's context, all the rest of that. But I've always believed that luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I tried very hard to prepare. I tried to achieve excellence. I tried to, and to do that while being a good team player. Absolutely. But, but again, um, life is a competitive endeavor. I embraced that notion. Uh, I did compete, again, trying to be the best team player while also trying to be um, all that I could be individually, the best where that was possible. But again, I think a healthy degree of ambition is good. Um, I think it is a useful. It's not not outrageous. Um, but again, you have to temper that clearly. And you have to recognize again that um, life is full of twists and turns. And uh, sometimes you get the azimuth or the direction right. And, and there are some times when you don't completely get it right. But I was exceedingly fortunate. Um, but I worked very, very hard at it as well. The U.S. Army's definition of leadership is the process of influencing people by providing purpose, direction, and motivation to accomplish the mission and improve the organization. With that definition, is there anything that you would add to that or take away as far as your personal definition of leadership as you continue on in the workforce outside of the military? Well, I have an intellectual construct for leadership that I explicitly developed over the years and explicitly sought to execute, uh, particularly when I was in the, say, the two, three, and four-star commands that I was privileged to have uh, in the final decade that I was in uniform. Uh, and the it involves four tasks, and in my view, good leadership is executing, performing these four tasks uh, superbly. Uh, it's to get the big ideas right, get the overarching strategy right, the priorities, if you will, at uh, certain levels. Um, as you're making your way up, you do that within the confines, within the intent of those above you. Uh, when you're at the very top, uh, it really is your primary responsibility to make sure that that strategy, that that approach, the big ideas are correct. Uh, that's not a trivial task. If you don't get that right, everything you do subsequent to that is building on a shaky foundation. Um, it doesn't matter how impressive you are in all these other respects that I might describe, if you can't get the big ideas right, if your operational judgment, strategic judgment is not sound, if it's flawed, uh, then all the other stuff is for naught. You can be the most charismatic, inspirational fit um, sent from central casting in various respects. But if you don't get the big ideas right, that all doesn't really matter. Um, so that is crucial. Uh, the surge in Iraq, for example, that mattered most was not the surge of forces. It wasn't the extra 25 or 30,000 forces. It was the surge of ideas. We reversed 180 degrees what we had been doing before. People talk about change management. It doesn't get any more dramatic than 180 degrees. And that is yet that was what we did. That's what we needed to do. Um, I recognize that together with the other key leaders, 
But frankly, those that came before us uh, actually resisted doing that and wanted to continue, by and large, what had been done until that point in time, even though it was not, uh, it wasn't succeeding. In fact, they actually assessed that it was failing to achieve uh, our stated objectives. The second task is to communicate the big ideas uh, throughout the breadth and depth of the organization so that they can translate the big ideas at my level uh, into real action at their level outside the wire under body armor with Kevlar and weapon doing what only they can do, which is to engage the enemy and engage the population. You also, though, have to communicate to your uh, other stakeholders, if you will, those above you, uh, those in Washington, the Pentagon, the White House, the State Department, uh, to the press, uh, to the other coalition capitals, to our partners in in Baghdad and throughout Iraq. Uh, all of this is, again, that's task number two. Uh, task number three, that's what we normally think of as leadership. Uh, that is providing the right example, uh, energy, inspiration, um, attracting the best and brightest, uh, motivating them, incentivizing them, developing them, trying to retain them uh, for as long as you can, um, and then allowing those that are they may be trying hard, but not measuring up. They can move on to something else generally without a public execution. It's how you spend your time. It's determining specifically with real rigor. Uh, it's the metrics determining what will show us whether we are winning or losing or making progress or, or not. Uh, how rigorous are those metrics? You need to drill them, drill into them. What is the definition? How does it apply? How is the information gathered? Who makes the call? Um, all of this, again, is part of that particular task, building a culture, uh, promoting values, uh, again, and it's normally what we think of uh, as leadership in, in many respects, in many definitions. And then there's a fourth task sometimes overlooked, which is the need to formally sit down and determine how you need to refine the big ideas so that you can do it again and again. And again, we had events on our battle with them. For example, once a month, all of the leaders of the uh, lessons learned teams from the Army, the Marine Corps, Special Ops, Asymmetric Warfare Group, Counterinsurgency Center, you name it, all came together. There was a process by which they eventually had their one-hour meeting with me. I would uh, They would identify lessons to me that they believed needed to be learned, but they're not learned when they identify them. They're learned when they are adopted or made part of the big ideas or used to refine the big ideas so that you can repeat these four tasks again and again and again. And that's how I see, um, that's how I, I define, I guess, leadership is the performance of these four tasks uh, to a high standard. These are very applicable in the civilian sector, elsewhere in government. Uh, I can walk you through this for Netflix with Reed Hastings as a a brilliant strategic leader uh, and great CEO who's reinvented Netflix a number of times and is in the process of changing the big ideas again right now. Um, but if, if you don't perform these right, if you particularly don't get the big ideas right and don't keep them right, um, you end up like Kodak, which was the leader in film photography, which had 2000 patents in digital photography, but failed to adopt, to embrace digital photography as the new big idea before others did. And it doesn't exist uh, as it used to at this point in time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Medal of Honor podcast, Veteran Stories of Strength, 
courage, and perseverance. If you will, take a moment and subscribe to the YouTube channel where you will see videos of full episodes like this one and other ones to come. You will also find videos of episodes coming up in the near future. This episode you've only heard a portion of. There is still more to this episode that can only be found on the YouTube channel. So if you will, take a moment and subscribe to the YouTube channel for more like this. Thank you and have a nice day.